This is episode 161 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-host, Linda Surovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. So the Mets are sort of a mess. <laughs> um, they, uh, they have played the Nationals and the Braves since we last recorded. Um, the National Series, they won one out of three against the mighty Washington Nationals. And they literally had to pull that one win out like nine to eight um, in a an absolutely like, you know, death death match between the mighty New York Mets and the the literal Washington Nationals. Um, They looked really terrible in the first two games and played some of the worst baseball I've ever seen this team play, like in the modern in the like Steve Cohen, I guess, Mets owned era um but this is so on brand for them like they beat the Dodgers and then look awful against the last place Nats like how do you how is that the same team especially at home yeah they they literally didn't have a four-game losing streak all of last year and they had a four-game losing streak because like in April because they lost the last two games against the Giants and then they lost the first two games of the national series so already in April they had a four-game losing streak when they didn't have one of those all of last year. They've also already been shut out five times, which is more than all of last year. I and they didn't get shut out until September, I think, of last year. Yep. So, And they've already been shut out five times since April. That's not good. No. That's really bad. That's <laughs> not good. And, I mean, listen, like, Josiah Gray pitched really well, and he has been pitching really well. Um, And Mackenzie Gore pitched well but the Mets should still be beating the Nationals. Like, that is, that's inexcusable stuff. And they played poorly in every facet. They pitched Mm -hmm. poorly, they did not hit, and they played terrible defense. Like, all of those things were true in the first two games of the Nats series. Like, they forgot how to baseball. They really did. Um, Things were looking real bleak. Um, Then they pulled out that win in the final game of the series. The bats finally woke up. Um... The pitching was still bad, but they managed to overcome that. Um, well, well, Casey wasn't too bad. I'm not going to blame him. No, he wasn't too bad. Um, he, he had a bad first, but other than that, he was good. He was ultimately charged with three runs, I believe, in like five yeah. and two thirds because uh, I believe it was Tommy Hunter allowed his inherited runners to score. So though, otherwise, he would have if if Hunter had stopped the bleeding, then Lucchese would have only given up one run, but instead he gave up three runs. Um, so his start was like, you know, it it wasn't awful, but it was definitely not the masterpiece he pitched previously, no. obviously. Um, but I mean, honestly, like that was kind of the least of their pitching problems. Um, <laughs> like Kodai Senka pitched fine, but he, again, like didn't, he lasted only five innings. Um, he gave up like two runs, I think. Last yeah. five innings, like that's not good enough. Um, and you know, and David Peterson was awful in the first game of the Brave series, and uh, Tyler McGill has not been good. Like that, just like they have not been getting good pitching performances at all. And obviously, Jose Budo didn't was was okay. Like 
he he walked six guys, so it that's just not good enough. Like he yes, he only gave up the two runs, I think, in the four and two thirds, but again, they're not lasting long enough into games because they're they're running high pitch counts, they're running deep counts, they're walking too many guys, they're giving up too many hits, they're managing to limit the damage a lot of the time, unless you're David Peterson, but they they're not lasting deep enough into games and it's causing a you know a ripple effect in the bullpen which is being absolutely decimated day in and day out thank you when you're uh, I don't think Buck should have relied on Tommy Hunter as much as he did to like he left him in way too long Buck's bullpen management this whole week has been really really bad too yeah he's not he's not made very good decisions no Um, I mean even today um, so the, 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 in the first game of the brave series, obviously there wasn't really much managing to be done. Although there were people arguing that he should have taken David Peterson out after four innings because David Peterson cruised through four innings and then just hit a wall in the fifth as they seem to always do. Um, and gave up a bunch of runs and the Mets lost because they called the game after the fifth inning. Uh, but they were desperate to get that game in because, uh, Saturday and Sunday's games ended up getting rained out um, and they knew that that was uh, a risk. So they like pushed through the rain on Friday um, and David Peterson looked good at first, but it didn't last. People argued that Buckshow Walter should have taken him out. I don't know about that. He was cruising. I don't know what you want Buck to do there. Um, and a kind of similar thing happened today where Tyler McGill was pitching pretty well. Um, he hadn't give up, given up any runs. And then, and you you know, his pitch count was low. Um, Buck sent him back out for the sixth um, and didn't didn't pull the hook fast enough. And Miguel gave up a bunch of runs. And they won the game, luckily. But yeah, it was, he, he stayed with, he stayed with Miguel for too long. Um, he's put, you know, Drew Smith in high leverage when he shouldn't be in high leverage. He's put Tommy Hunter in in high leverage when he shouldn't be in high leverage. Um and I he think it's a- in too long too. Like, why are you trying to get like a third inning out of some of these guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again. I think it's a combination of Buck making poor choices, but also him being forced a little bit by the starting rotation situation. Um, this is all a domino effect of the starting pitchers not going deep enough into games, and Max Scherzer being suspended, and Justin Verlander not having pitched at all the first month of the season. Um, and too many starting pitching injuries. And so you don't have enough innings that are being covered by the starting pitchers. So you have to throw Steven Nagosik for three innings. Which is not what you want. <laughs> it's really not what you want. Um, and the the bullpen has been taxed an incredible amount. I mean, obviously they, they won the second game of this doubleheader um today because you know it was faded because the Mets haven't lo- haven't gotten swept in a doubleheader since like 2020 or something um but you know they lost the first game because they started Denny Reyes and Denny Reyes was terrible <laughs> um I mean like I know that they are trying to give Kodai Sanga extra rest I understand that he is adjusting to a major league workload. It's different in Japan. They they go further between starts. It's not every five days. It's like every nine or ten days they pitch, every week or so. Um, and so I understand that he's trying to adjust uh, and they're trying to be careful with him. 
but you can afford to do that when Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are in the rotation. You cannot afford to do that when you're already pitching Joey Lucchese, David Peterson, Jose Buda, when you've already exhausted all of your pitching depth and it's April, you can't afford to just be giving Senga all these extra days off. No. I so mean, they pitched can... Denny Reyes instead of Kodai Senga on regular rest. Kodai Senga would have been pitching on regular rest today if he had pitched because of the rainouts. He would have been pitching on regular rest. And instead of pitching him, they pitched Denny Reyes and they ended up losing what could have been a very winnable game. They were behind huge early. And you wouldn't have thought it would have been a winnable game because it was like six to one in the second inning. But the Mets bats came awake in this doubleheader today and they could have won that game. They lost by one run. Even if they had just gone with a straight bullpen game, they could have won the game. Right. Probably. It it almost ended up being that because Dan yeah, Reyes it had to be that. Yeah, it was more or less an opener, partially because he wasn't he he was sent down to AAA in the first place to stretch out because the Mets have no more starting pitching options left. But you know, obviously that process is not yet complete. He hasn't been in AAA for that long, so you weren't expecting more than like a couple innings, maybe three innings out of him to begin with. But it was it, it was even worse because. He got hit really hard and didn't last that long. So it does seem that, I mean, it, it was, we, I had like a really nerve wracking moment earlier today with regard to Sanga because all of a sudden John Hayman tweeted that, you know, Scherzer was being penciled in for Tuesday. And then what was the, like, what was the, they wanted Lucchese in for Tuesday and spotting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Scherzer, where'd Senga go? Exactly. It was just like, Joel Sherman just suddenly tweets, like, randomly at 11.05 a.m. Mets have some weather concerns Tuesday in Detroit, so Scherzer likely moved back to start Wednesday. Verlander on Thursday with Lucchese spotted in on Tuesday. It's like, okay, where's Kodai Senga, bro? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I liked your tweet. Like, did he literally ghost, though? <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did Kodai Senga literally ghost? <laughs> like that was yeah, like we need context here you can't just tweet that you can't just tweet that it was deeply concerning and so i was like we spent like 20 minutes freaking out about that because he tweeted it with like no context and i was like is anybody gonna ask where kodai sanga is he's is he on the milk cartons yet like where is the man <laughs> um like putting out some like like missing persons reports here um and so I thought that they were hiding an injury. I was sure of it. I was um, too. Because that's that would be the most Mets outcome. But no, he is pitching on Friday. And I was like, okay, like, sure. I, I mean, again, now they can afford to do that because this turned through the rotation because Verlander and Scherzer are coming back. But, like, this Denny Reyes game is what they couldn't afford to do. <laughs> and they yeah. did. Like, I just... Well, and also they, they kind of got screwed, too, because they planned for Scherzer to pitch today. And, of course, because it had to be 10 games and not 10 days, so he couldn't come yeah. back and pitch. So, yeah, it just it was a, just a shit storm upon it was like a shit snowball just that just kept rolling. Yeah, it was it was a terrible homestand. And they honestly like I I am fine with with getting out of the brave series with that one win and just now they move into a stretch they now they move into a stretch of the schedule that they have no excuse not to feast upon because their pitchers are getting healthy they have well 
in Scherzer's case, he's coming back from suspension. He was theoretically already healthy. Um, but Verlander's coming back and Carrasco is not too far behind. Um, and they have a stretch coming up. I'm looking at the schedule. I should have already looked at this ahead of time. I know vaguely what it is. The Tigers are first. That's this week. They have a stretch coming up. That's Tigers, Rockies, Reds, Nationals. They have no excuse not to basically run the table of those games. Like, obviously, I'm not asking for them to go on, like, a 12-game winning streak or whatever, but they need to start winning some some ball games at a better rate. <laughs> Although it is kind of fitting that Scherzer and Verlander are, fitting, are pitching against the Tigers. Yes, it is. It for is. Tigers fans. I, I know. I'm sorry, Tigers fans, but... It- it, like life comes full circle sometimes. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> poor Tiger. <laughs> My former boss is a Tiger fan, so I texted her that she goes, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." After that easy stretch, they run up against a stretch that's Rays, Guardians, Cubs. Um, obviously, the Cubs are a team who not many people predicted would be very good. I don't think people predicted they'd be like terrible, but I don't think people thought that they would be good, but they are playing very well right now. So you're running into three teams that are, and the Rays are obviously like basically unstoppable. So you're running into three solid teams after that. So they need to take advantage of this part of the schedule when they have their guys coming back healthy. Um, I feel like this is a crucial stretch for them. Um, But the one casualty of the domino effect that I was talking about when it comes to Verlander not pitching for a month, Scherzer's suspension, the subsequent tax on the rotation and therefore the bullpen is that Brooks Raley is injured now. Um, He was placed on the 15-day IL with elbow inflammation, which is not a good thing that you want to hear. That's what that's what Jacob Degrom also has right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, when they said his you they what did they say today? Because Vaz tweeted by like his UCL is fine shirt is answering a lot of questions already answered by their shirt. Like nobody said anything about the UCL. Why are you bringing it up? I mean, I yeah, because it would. I mean, it was always like whenever I think that when he actually like left the game, they called it forearm tightness, and oh. that always makes people freak out that it's Tommy. No, John. but I mean about Rayleigh. Oh, about Rayleigh. Yeah. Oh, I thought that people were saying that about Degrom. Well, they were saying it about Degrom, but they also said it about Rayleigh. Like, yeah, that's not. <laughs> Epler just randomly go, goes. Oh, by the way, his UCL is fine. No, nobody has to. That really is an unforced error. There. Really is the the my UCL is fine shirt. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, now you're gonna make me freak out. Yeah, really. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean it's it elbow inflammation is not a good injury you ever want to hear. No. Um I mean Car- that's what Carrasco went on the IL with as well. Um, but they found out that his is due to, to bone spurs. Um, which obviously if it's like you know, the worst case scenario with bone spurs, that's really bad because you need surgery and then that'll like end your season basically. Um but it doesn't mean structural damage, at least. But when you don't find bone spurs, then you wonder if there is structural damage, which is not good. Not what you want. No. Um, so hopefully this is just, I don't know, like hopefully he has no structural damage and this is just an overuse injury. But yeah, at the time that he was put on the injured list, he was 
leading the league in relief appearances. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Mm. What happens when you have one lefty in your entire damn organization? <laughs> yeah, Epler. And we've been screaming about getting another lefty, and you know, that did not happen. <laughs> Once again, you could have simply acquired, signed. This is the second straight offseason where we told you to sign Andrew Chafin, and you didn't. Um, How's he been doing? Good. It's on my fantasy team. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it... I, I, I can never remember who's on which fantasy team. I have two fantasy teams. He's definitely on one of them. Uh, I don't remember if it's the Amazing Avenue League or not. Yeah, he has a 2.61 ERA. Oh, well. 10 innings. Um, 15 strikeouts in 10 innings. Cool. It would be nice to have that guy around, wouldn't it? So yeah. Could Rayleigh be handy. Being, so that Rayleigh being on the IL mean, doesn't mean you have no lefties left. Very cool. Um... Yeah, so uh, other roster moves that they made uh, after his terrible rain-shortened start, which represented, you know, his, like, third bad start in a row, um, David Peterson was optioned to AAA. Um, he need, he needed that. I, I mean, I hope that he works it out and comes back and is the version of David Peterson we saw last year, which is perfectly cromulent, even if infuriating to watch still. But, you know results were good last year if he can just get back to that guy instead of whatever dude he is now that would be perfectly acceptable but right now he just is not he's not rosterable at this time and i'm glad that the mets realized that yeah i'm glad that they noticed the turf was more cromulent yes (laughs) the turf has been more cromulent it is true and i am hoping that he stays even after you know both scherzer and verlander return i am hoping that lucchese stays around um it's unclear between it like the real i mean the real question is gonna be when because obviously budo's already gone as well um he was kind of the first to go and then it was going to be peterson because he was performing the worst i think the real decision will come when carrasco comes back they will have to decide whether to option lucchese or mcgill it's not like either of them are out of options they can option either of them so it will really just be a question of who is pitching better i mean right now that's probably slight edge lucchese um mcgill has been uh not great uh not as awful as peterson but not good um, and Lucchese's looked better. I mean, Lucchese still has the best pitching performance of any Mets starter this season <laughs> right now. So he has that going for him. Although I have to say, like, a while ago, Bass sent me this tweet that said, sports is great because you get to pick a guy, and anytime that guy does something, your friends go, hey, look, it's your guy. And I have to say, my Twitter friends did not let me down. <laughs> Whenever Lucchese did something, they all tagged me. Yep, yep. It really is. It makes me so happy. It really is. And that's this podcast supports having a guy so much. Yeah. (laughs) The brand is so strong. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that your brand is so strong that like your get your mentions are getting blown up every time Joey Lucchese like blows his nose, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. You have no so please keep doing it, folks. It makes me so you can you have no clue how happy it makes me. Keep tagging Linda every time Joey Lucchese does absolutely anything. Like even if he like he misses a high five or like high fives awkwardly, I am all for that. 
Um, meanwhile, not quite as strong as the Lucchese brand, but uh, I would like to draw a little bit of notice to the fact that my dude was called up again. John Curtis is back and he pitched today and was good. So there you go. He probably should have uh, been the opener. Yeah, maybe. Um, or like literally anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I knew that when he, I mean, when he got sent down, I was kind of surprised, but also not because he has options. Um, yeah. but I was still kind of like justice for John Curtis. He's been fine. Leave my dude alone. Is um, Brigham still up? He is. Yes. How'd he do? Uh, did he, did he pitch today? I think he did. I was like, cause I was at, at work. So I missed. Yeah. The game. I was also, I mean, I wasn't at work. I was at PT during the early part of the game. Um, and I was like half paying attention to it, but Brigham, I think pitched in the, this from what I've seen, he's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I, yeah, Brigham Brigham had a bad time in the in the in the first game. Oh. Well, yeah. never mind. But he had been good. Um yeah, he's the one who gave up all those runs. That's right. The three the three runs after Denny Reyes cuz Denny Reyes obviously got um got really beat up badly. Um and then John Curtis pitched two innings and gave up a solo homer, but nothing else. And then Nagosik pitched two and two thirds scoreless. And then Brigham gave up three runs. <laughs> yeah, he was the and then and then Hunter pitched two scoreless innings and okay. allowed the Mets to claw back, but they didn't quite make it. Um, so yeah, Brigham Brigham had had kind of a bad outing, and I think it was like his first like really bad outing. I it wasn't the first time he's given up runs, but I think it was the first kind of time he's been like, you know hit around a little bit well me and i was starting to get on like the bingham train but <laughs> it's the braves their lineup is good yeah Obviously. yeah that's um, gonna happen yeah so i mean brigham might uh who knows i mean obviously Rayleigh's hurt now so that means the brigham's and yaka bonuses of the world will probably stick around a little longer Denny Reyes was immediately optioned back. <laughs> thank you for your service. Bye bye. Yes, thank you for wearing that one. Sorry about it. Um, and uh, Adam Ottavino was briefly away from the team because he went on the paternity list. Congratulations to the Ottavino family. Um, he has been reinstated uh, from the paternity list, so he's back. Um, David Robertson inexplicably pitched two innings in the <laughs> game in the. Uh, second game of the doubleheader that the Mets won. I mean, won. it worked. But... It worked. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I mean, like, and Ottavino was available and hadn't pitched in a while. So it was like, what are you doing? I was like, please, please, please don't break our only good pitcher. <laughs> and then he gave up a double in the ninth. I was like, oh, here we go. I know. And then, but then he he got out of it. It was fine. But I was like, I was like, I am asking very kindly to not break our only good pitcher that we have. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Otto's okay. Otto's good. Yeah. But <laughs> David Robertson is great. Yes. Um, Getting what we've gotten out of David Robertson so far has been a bl an absolute blessing and part of the reason that the Mets are not, like, fully underground right now. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, bless him and Adavino. Let's give let's give both of them credit. Yeah, they've been really good, and it's it, it's made me so mad. That, like every like I just keep thinking about how good this bullpen would be with with Edwin Diaz. I know because Adavino and Robertson have been great. Um, and like just thinking about having the ability to like every time we've seen Drew Smith and high leverage, it probably wouldn't need to be Drew Smith. It would be like Adavino or Robertson instead. Yeah. Yeah. Just, then we just has, changed the, uh... It changes the whole dang thing. It's really annoying, but they've survived it. Um, but they can't keep surviving it with the way that the starting pitchers are not going deep enough into games and the way that the guys are being abused to the point where, and it's like not, I mean, Buckshaw Walters made some questionable decisions, but he's not like, like, Brooks really wasn't leading the league in appearances because Buck Showalter was purposefully like overusing him. It was because like they don't have anybody else to pitch because there's not enough innings being covered by the starters. Well, you know, Scherzer was fine, but he wasn't Scherzer, and then he had that little injury or whatever. So maybe like the suspension will also help him get back to 100%. Yeah, I'm hoping that. So maybe he'll be back to being more Scherzer like yeah. now than he was before. I'm really hoping that. Um, the only other uh, Mets related news this week doesn't have to do with their play on the field. Thankfully, we'll get a nice respite from that by talking about something else, um, which is that um, we learned this week. It was interesting reporting from um, from John Heyman of the New York Post um, that Cohen, Steve Cohen reportedly considered uh, a retractable roof on City Field, and he decided not to do it because it was too expensive. So if you want to know uh, where Steve Cohen draws the line, <laughs> it's uh, putting a roof on the stadium, apparently. Well, I mean, it's nice that he had the thought, <laughs> but it is what it is at this point. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the issue was brought to the forefront this weekend because the Mets had two rainouts in a row um, and, you know, a, a, and a Friday night game that really, if there wasn't going to be a whole weekend of rain would have been a rainout. So it was like three days in a row where the rain um, played a factor in things. And so it kind of brought the issue to the forefront. Um, and we learned that Cohen considered adding a roof, but well, didn't they have issues with rain at the end of last season too? If I'm yes. remembering correctly. Yes, they had the most like postponements. Yes. Like, wasn't that a record setting year for postponements? Might have been, yeah. Or was that 2021? I can't remember, but there was yeah. like a time there was like a recent year that was a record for rain for weather related postponements. I think it was 2021, actually. Um but yeah, up, so, apparently yeah, the will like cons- getting screwed by getting with rain recently. They have been. Apparently, the Wilpons did investigate a roof in 2007 when City Field was like first being conceived, but uh, they found out it would cost an additional 100 million to 127 million dollars, and they backed out of that with a quickness. So, <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to do that. Um, and apparently, um, like you know, now, um it would cost like seven times that amount to like put a roof on. So that's taking into account, I guess, like 
you know, the fact that it's more expensive to add a roof to an existing stadium than it is to just like put it on one you're building um, from scratch and also just obviously like inflation and stuff. So, yeah, that that would be the price tag. Uh, About seven hundred million dollars, I guess, to put a roof. Which yeah, is only Shohei. like 1.5 Shohei Otani's, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather have Shohei Otani. Thank you. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, I'll take a couple extra rainouts a year if uh, Shohei Otani's on the Mets. Yeah, I'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll suck it off. I'll take that trade off. Um, but yeah, um, stay tuned for the second half of the show this week because we're going to have uh, Jen Macaramos on to talk about more about the A's situation and the uh, t- and taxpayer funded stadiums and why they don't present a good return of investment um, for for the local community. So stay t- tuned for that conversation in the second half. Uh, we're really excited about it. Um, enjoy. For our baseball segment this week, we have a very special guest uh, and friend of the pod, Jen Ramos. Welcome, Jen. Thank y'all for having me. Uh, Jen has covered baseball in many forms in the past, um, but we are having them on specifically this week because they have a self-described policy brain, as do I. (laughs) (laughs) So we wanted to talk to Jen about um, the economics of taxpayer-funded stadiums in the aftermath of uh, the A's situation, which we already talked about in last week's pod, but we wanted to get even deeper into the broader issue that this brings up about taxpayer funded stadiums. Um, this isn't just an A's problem. The A's are just the stark ex- starkest example of it right now. Um, so there was an article recently in the athletic um, where they interviewed um, a, a JC Bradbury, who is an, an economist and expert in this area and uh, JC talked a little bit about um, this issue, but I but I want to have Jen on to talk about it with um, our listeners and sort of break it down. Um, so, Jen, can you tell our listeners a little bit about sort of why why owners are motivated to have these stadiums, but why they're not actually good for the taxpayers and the locals that invest in them? Yeah, so I feel like with the Oakland A's, I have a lot more layers of insight too, because I went to undergrad in Oakland and in college at the time I did an entire like semester's paper on taxpayer funded stadiums and like knowing Oakland itself, having lived there, like I know everything. I know a lot of what's like going on there. Um, I haven't been in the community in a since I graduated, but like, I do know a lot of what's still going on there. And even back when I wrote that paper in 2014, it has already, there's already been studies that say that taxpayer funded stadiums are such a poor use of public dollars because one, even if they try to promise that it is a public privately funded ballpark, it is never 100% private because you still have to have infrastructure funding you still have to look at the public transportation dollars and that is very much public and there is still a lot of the tax dollars that go into it as far as like what is going to actually get taxed are there going to be tax breaks that are included so it the promise of privately funded stadiums have never been private 
Um, when you look at Oracle Park, um, the facility itself, sure, is privately funded. But when you look at the San Francisco portion of it, they had to build new um, muni stops to make sure that there was public transportation there. Um, and even though the upkeep of the ballpark is private, there's still like public dollars that go into the transportation part of it. Um, and when you look at that, you're seeing like, no matter what, there is still public dollars that are going into it one way or another. And you're also thinking about like their quote unquote public safety part when they do have games, money is put into police departments to have extra people staffed for game days. And that's where all of the public dollars end up going. The re a reason why this is not a great return on investment for the cities, for example, is Marlins ballpark. Um, that was such a negative impact on Miami-Dade County that it was investigated by the SEC for a while. It was something that I believe had something to do in part with the recall of the mayor. It led to so much detrimental things for the community in Miami that it was held up as an example of why parks should not be publicly funded. There were a lot of storefronts that were built near and in the ballpark that were kept empty for so many years because nobody wanted to do business with such a negative impact on the community. Um, and a lot of the times these public dollars that are going into sports venues as well, when you see a lot of like the downtown ballpark, I guess like explosion in like the late nineties, early two thousands, a lot of those did also displace a lot of people who live in those communities. And when you're thinking about those displacement as well, you're kind of also thinking like you're basically putting public funds in to leave people unhoused. So when you're thinking also about the marginal utility of public benefit, what good is it when you're leaving people unhoused to build a sports venue? Yeah. Um, and that makes me think about um, the the wonderful book, Stealing Home, um, about the Los Angeles Dodgers um, and their stadium and the impact on Mexican-American communities there um of why you know doing this not thoughtfully can have really really not just not positive impacts absolutely like devastating impacts on the local community yeah i think the dodger stadium project and what happened to chavez ravine is like a prime example of like why sports venues are not the benefit to communities that they say it is and we've seen this happen for over 50 years now and with all of these stories with all of these studies with all of this research it has already been proven that these are not good investments for communities it's not good use of the money that we are putting into our communities it's kind of like well why aren't we putting this funding into affordable housing instead why aren't we you know putting these funds into dedicated resources for transportation, making sure that, you know, there's equitable resources for communities. Why is it 
sports venues. And a lot of it is because these owners do not want to put their bottom line into sports venues when they think that they can get communities to pay for it. And that's usually sold on the promise of they're going to quote unquote revitalize like these downtown areas or something. And that's been the that's been the propaganda that they've been trying to push is that like this it's part of like revitalization efforts to quote unquote revive parts of like a downtown area that that's not what they need in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um and this is something that was covered in the the athletic interview. I think that it's it's often an oversimplification when they say you know, we're going to we're going to put this stadium here and it's going to inject money into the local economy because people are going to spend money um, by going to see the team when, you know, if if the team wasn't there, if the stadium wasn't there, the people who have the disposable income to be able to see the team, it's not like they're just going to not spend money in the community at all. It, like they it's just a re like shuffling of dollars that are already existing more or less like they're going to out to dinner they're going shopping they're instead going you know going to bars they're going bowling they're doing all these other things in the community if you don't have the sports team it's not like oh i'm going to see a cubs game or i'm doing nothing like <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no, oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to ask what happened. Like they had that rendering of the old stadium. Was Fisher just holding the city hostage, asking them to build him a new stadium? Or did that just what happened there? The Howard Terminal Project was such a convoluted project that it was Fisher and Cavill trying to get this new ballpark built. They wanted to have, they said that they wanted to have like this waterfront ballpark, the way that Oracle exists in San Francisco. And they wanted it to be like this shopping area and also have like apartment units up. And I think that what they were trying to do was at least make it seem like they had a good faith effort in it. I haven't talked to Fisher or Cavill myself about these things. Um, And like, I can't get a read on like some of the things they say in public because, um, you know, owners and presidents can be a lot of talk. Um, I have sat in on like Howard terminal related Um, city council agendas at Oakland city council, just listening in. Um, I have, you know, been on some zoom calls about Howard terminal just to get a better sense of it. And I think Cavill actually showed up on one of those. And um, I'd say like, just so you're aware, I'm a journalist. Um, But to me, it did seem like, okay, what is the end game here? And Vegas is something that had been tossed around for about a year now. It wasn't a secret to those who were paying close attention that they were interested in Vegas. Um, And the city of Oakland did do what they needed to, to try and keep the A's in Oakland, especially after they lost both the Raiders and the Warriors. 
and they are going into a budget deficit into the 23-24 fiscal year. Um, and there is some revenue that was lost with both of those teams losing, leaving um, Oakland, but it wasn't like the majority of the deficit, but it is like a part of the deficit, if I recall correctly. Um, and they were, fa- they've been facing budget deficits on a lot of fronts. Um, and a new mayor inherited this problem in Oakland. Um, but from what I could tell is that it wasn't 100% clear to people like how serious Cavill and Fisher were about actually staying. Um, aside from they did try to put Howard Terminal as like a viable option. I From all of the stories that I've read, the city of Oakland tried to do what they could to make it a real project to keep the A's in Oakland. But I feel like a lot of it with the with the fan community, like they, you know, John Fisher, like purposefully sort of gutted the team and then got mad that no one cared about the team and was like, you guys don't care about the team. And that's why we're leaving. But it's like it's a vicious cycle because he he made the team bad on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. And that was that was the thing that I like just following this from like the outsider perspective who's not in the bay anymore and like following like how bad the team's gotten i cover their low a team pretty well like stockton i am there at least one game every homestand last season one of the things that i've always noticed with um minor league ball is that if the big league team is doing well sometimes their minor league team isn't doing great if the minor league te- farm system is like stacked and the big league team isn't that great, at least they have guys coming up. I have barely ever seen a team where it's bad top to bottom from major league to low A. The Stockton ports are three and 18 Oof. right now. Yikes. And it, I was at a game where that team made five errors oh. and you've, and originally it was six errors and they changed it to five, but like, <laughs> it also felt like they made more errors than that because of the mental errors that you can't give like an E to. Um, and it just feels like, okay, yeah, sure. They have Max Muncy part two, um, but it doesn't feel like there's anything that team. It's like, you're kind of wondering like, what am I seeing with this organization? Like, it really does feel like it's gutted, and it is hard to watch as someone who's from NorCal and, like, went to a lot of games in college when they were good. Like, at the Coliseum in 2012 and 2013, in the playoffs, I saw that place packed because they had a good team. They made the playoffs. They made it exciting to be there. But then, like for whatever reason, eventually, like, they just gutted the team. And it makes no sense because, like, if you have a fun, exciting team, people will go to games no matter if you play in what is basically a sewer because that ballpark has had sewage problems. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, like, I have seen people in those bleachers go no matter what. And... 
especially if the team is good, those bleachers are packed. Like the A's are known for how vibrant their bleachers are. But when you see them also protesting everything going on, you have something really bad on your hands. Yeah, that kind of leads to um, another topic that we were that we were going to ask you about. Um, obviously, uh, this. So what's interesting is, is the interesting in a like sad way, I guess, um, is this comes at a time this announcement that the A's were almost certainly leaving for Las Vegas um, came at a time when the fans were already organized and ready to protest about the state of the franchise and the team. Um, and they were preparing to uh, have a protest. And I think it was June sometime. They were going to have a protest where they were going to purposefully fill the stadium. Even though the team is bad, they were going to fill the stadium to say, like, we are here. We're ready to go. If you put a good product on the field, we will show up. Look at this. Look at this full stadium just for one day and then leave again to sh- to make a to make an, uh, a statement. Um, and then this news came out. <laughs> Obviously, I am not sure what the state of that that particular protest is now. I don't know if it's that kind of took the wind out of its sails or if they're still planning on doing it or what. Um, But they did organize a different protest, um, which is that there were a bunch of fans uh, at the game. I think it was on Friday night. Um, We're recording this on Monday night. Um, There were a bunch of fans uh, at the game with, you know, uh, Fisher out, sell the team, uh, Cavill's a liar, like stay in Oakland, like a bunch of a bunch of uh, signs. Uh, they, They were all over the place. And. Um, in the highlight video, particularly of Ryan Noda's home run, which went right by a lot of those signs in the outfield, they zoomed in on the ball in the MLB highlight reel so close that you couldn't see any of the signs. They purposefully like cropped them out, um, which is just like, I don't know, like, I don't even have anything to say about that in particular. It just feels like if there's anything you need to know about the state of like Rob Manfred's MLB, like that's it right there. It really speaks to how Manfred is a shill for the owners. That's really it. Like he's there for the owners. And it's it's funny. Like sometimes I'm like, I would think I I used to think that seal there it could not get worse than sealing, and then you know Rob Manfred's like hold my beer. And this is where we are because like Seelig was not a great commissioner, but I thought like, Hey, there's nowhere else to go, but up. Right. And it was like, Nope, Nope. We're going to go even lower. Um, and I think it just says so much about how MLB has gone so much more corporate hmm. than anything. Yes. And this corporatization of MLB like, obviously, it's always been a corporate entity. That's always what it's been. It's always been about the bottom line. But the way that they're running it now is to the point where, like, guys like Steve Cohen get dinged for actually spending money. Yep. And, like, when you have someone who actually cares about the product on the field and that becomes the outlier it says so much about the state of MLB. So of course, with this 
idea of moving to Vegas, it's about the bottom line. They don't care about the product on the field. They don't care about putting a good team out there. They just want to see the profit margins. And and here's the thing. How many people in Las Vegas are going to want to go see a bad team in the summer in the desert? Like, mm-hmm. I've been to Las Vegas in the summer. It's like 115 plus degrees there. Would I want to personally sit outside and watch a horrible team? No, I wouldn't try to find other uses of my time that's not sitting out in the heat in 115 plus degree weather watching a team lose. The Las Vegas A's lose like 13 to 11 because the run the run creation environment is like absolutely insane. Like you guys yeah. think that like Chase Field is bad. Like this is going to be worse than that. Um, I mean, if you look at like the Las Vegas Aviators and like how many high scoring games they have, that's kind of like a preview if and like that was one of the things that I saw that like they're considering, you know, kind of sharing that ballpark a bit until they get a new one. I'm like, have you seen how kind of a disaster it is for pitchers out there? It's not great. Well, that was the problem when the Mets AAA team was the 51s. It was so hard to get a read on both pitchers and hitters because their stats were so inflated. Yeah, you never knew whether a pitcher was actually good or his era was just five because he was in las vegas <laughs> well, yeah. getting back to um them editing the the video it's also a little scary how that branch is it's kind of become propaganda like what else is manfred not want us to see like what else is he cropping out like i mean not that anything that we know of but is this just how it's going to be? Like anything bad, is that going to get suppressed now? I think so. I think it's really kind of showing, again, that corporatization of MLB. They want to like try and promote their product as well as possible and making sure that like all of these negative things aren't seen. But it's good that there are reporters out there who are like, hey, what's what's the deal with this? Like, I saw the Chronicle reporting on it and that's good. And the thing is like, I would guess that there's going to be more instances of this and I would have to hope that reporters are, you know, keeping tabs of this, not just with the A's, but all across the league. Um, It is just one of those situations where I think also since the lockout, a lot of fans are way more aware of what MLB is doing, which is good. Mm, yeah. And I think the labor movement in MLB and also minor league baseball, obviously, um, has made people at least a tiny bit more aware of MLB's problems and the corporatization. And I think there, I think we might end up seeing a lot more vocal fan bases when things pop up i think it's good that the A's fan base is trying to you know make it known that they're definitely not happy with the state of the oakland A's. um but i don't think we've seen the last of signs being censored at the ballpark 
probably not. Support local reporters. Seriously. Um, local news local is important. Um, local news is good. And I think that, like, I think part of that, um, in addition to just the, the the labor movement gaining more traction in baseball, which has been a positive development, I think there's, like, more, <laughs> for better or for worse, there's more owners who are just willing to say the quiet part out loud, and they just end up stepping on rakes when it comes to this, like... Um, John Fisher is actually not one of them because John Fisher does not speak to the media really, but other owners like we, we have, we literally have an ongoing segment on this podcast called I took the form <laughs> of a 45 year old man for a white man for a reason I can only <laughs> fail up because and it's dedicated to owners every week just saying the quiet part out loud which John Angelos has done a bunch Bob Nutting has done a bunch Dick Montfort has done a bunch like just owner after owner has said like stuff that I feel like owners didn't admit out loud in the past for whatever reason, whether that's because reporters are asking them better questions or if it's just because there there's cell phones everywhere now and they're being recorded at every silly luncheon they do. <laughs> um, I don't know either way. Like it just seems like it's coming out more and more and people are noticing it. Uh, Cause that was the difference with the will ponds with the Mets, the will ponds were terrible. Um, but they mostly didn't do media and they didn't appear in front of cameras and so they didn't speak. And so it was like easy to just hate them from afar, but like fans not to not be aware of like truly how terrible they are. But I think that that era is over for a lot of owners like they are saying things and <laughs> people are reacting to it. But there's still no shame either. Like they're not no. losing anything. No. And that's that's I think the thing like they have nothing to lose they are yeah. in power that they know that like they can still try to say something but they're still owning the team and i think that's like a lot of problem i keep thinking about charles johnson with the san francisco giants and like the donations he made to people like lauren bobert and then eventually because like a lot of people in san francisco obviously like democratic majority were yelling at him about it that he asked for his donation back <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah um at that point i'm just like he's still gonna own the team at the end of the day like what are what are we doing here and like huh, actually when i applied for the mlb diversity fellowship i put on my application that i would like to see um social ownership of mlb teams the way that the green bay packers are owned and like municipalities and like the residents actually owning the team because at least at that point you're more beholden to the actual residents and the people that are living in the communities that these teams are in rather than these corporate people who just want profits. Yep. Those Green Bay tickets are no joke. Like my <laughs> uh, friend's aunt still lives in Green Bay and she actually owns some of the Packers and you can't just get rid of them. They have to be willed to somebody in your family. Like it's, it's, it's legit. Like um, I think you have to prove there's like no other member you could give it to before they can even sell. Um, so they're really strict about who can own the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> um, I think that would be amazing no, but... if more teams were like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I want to own the Mets. <laughs> right? I feel like that would be such a positive thing for sports in general when, like, they're not serving the owners. They're serving 
actual people that would benefit from taxpayer money going to these teams because if it goes back into you know if it's money from the community going back into the community and that cycle it has much more benefit than what we currently have instead you have john fisher taking his casino money and laughing all the way to the bank um and like as and like you know if there's anywhere that needs quote revitalization it's the las vegas strip definitely <laughs> definitely uh a place that needs an injection of more craven greed <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly what we need in a place literally known as sin city <laughs> <laughs> like come on it's just too much like that that's the part that like takes it so far that i that i feel like it's a bit is just like the whole like oh they're leaving Oakland because of Craven Greed oh and they're going right to they bought a piece of land from a casino on the on the Vegas Strip it's a little too on the nose for me yeah the, <laughs> again like having like spent a a lot of time in Las Vegas growing up like it's funny because I remember the Las Vegas Fifty Ones being on the Strip and then they moved out into the suburbs and became the Aviators and. Like, I know the Strip to be a place, even as, like, a preteen, as, like, the place of just every single deadly sin that you can think of. And for the A's to move there in their corporate mindset, it's like, this is pretty much what Las Vegas was built on. And, like... It makes sense when you think about it that way, but it doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah. Right. Well, I do have to say, I mean, as I'm currently dying watching hockey, I don't know how much I can talk about it. Um, But when the Golden Knights first went to Vegas, um, they had like between periods, they would have like Cirque du Soleil come out and... They would have shows in between periods and they would have like a light show and they would have effects and like they had this golden knight come out and like battle people. And so they did play up into the whole Vegas vibe and people loved going to the games for that reason. So, but I don't know if baseball is ready to embrace that kind of champ almost um, I mean, you see it when a baseball player tries to have fun, God forbid, and, you know, that's not allowed in baseball. So it's like you're going to America's playground and you're you're not, are they even going to embrace it? Yeah, and that's the thing that's also funny considering, like, the NHL is also, like, even worse about guys showing personality than MLB. Yeah. But they're also, like, fully aware, like, hey, Vegas is a place where a lot of people come to, like, especially if, like, you're from SoCal and you just want a weekend away that is, like, completely loose. Like, you go to Vegas. It is, like, the city of entertainment. You go there for entertainment and the Golden Knights knew, like, you have to play up this entertainment part. And with an MLB team going there, it's, it kind of goes back to the idea of how, like, a lot of teams are kind of building 
near their ballparks if they're able to to create like these little entertainment centers like i'm thinking about that with wrigley and i'm thinking about that with san francisco and how how they're building this thing called mission rock and like i'm thinking about how like the original howard terminal project wanted to have like something around it i'm thinking about how staples center i'm refusing to call it by its new name because it is miserable (laughs) um but right next to Staples Center is this like entertainment center called LA Live that has like a theater for like live shows and like there's a movie theater there and a lot of different like entertainment things like you can do like bowling and I'm thinking about how like they're really seeing sports venues more as entertainment and not just sports which I get sports can be entertainment but Again, they're not focusing on the product on the field. They're really just thinking about the bottom line that they can get out of the entertainment value than anything. And they think that with MLB that they'll that they will have an audience for that. But I think the other things that Fisher has also poisoned the well for A's fans that like I don't know how many of them will stick with being an A's fan moving to Las Vegas. Like my little brother grew up an A's fan and quit the team a couple years ago just because of like everything around him he's like I don't want to be a fan of this and like I think about that and I'm like that's not good if that was already happening for a while and I've talked to some A's fans recently and like a lot of them like I don't know if I'm gonna stay with this team like if you're poisoning the well this early even before the move how are you gonna expect to build a fan base in Las Vegas yeah it's really hard to imagine um, and I know that you've tweeted a bit about this, so I wanted to ask you about it. Um, what is your response to people who are like, oh, Ace fans can just become Giants fans then? I hate them. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> I think, again, this is also coming from me being a Sacramento Kings fan who went through that entire threat of the Kings almost leaving. And like recently as like the last NBA season, the 21-22 season, I've had people telling me like, well, you could always jump ship to the Warriors. And I'm like, why would I do that? I almost lost this team and I still have them here. So like, I'm forcing them to stick with them. I grew up with this team with the A's and the Giants. Like, I know that there's always been that animosity because the Giants, even when they were bad, um, they always brought more media attention than the A's did and a lot more people paid attention to the Giants than anything then the dynasty happened and then the A's got really bad and it's such a weird thing when you see people saying that and like knowing that the animosity is already there and it's it's also strange just also like considering the the background of like the antitrust lawsuits and like when the A's tried to move to San Jose and the Giants tried to block that like they already have animosity from that kind of stuff so it's like why are you even suggesting that they become a fan of a team that they already don't have good feelings about because of what that team has done um And as, you know, someone who grew up a Giants fan whose kid brother, you know, picked the A's, like, 
I'm fully aware of how I'm fully aware of how Giants fans treated A's fans, especially through the dynasty and after. And for me, I needed to take a step back from Giants Twitter during the dynasty because I saw how a lot of Giants fans were just not kind about the A's, even though the A's were good. They were making the playoffs. But there is a very valid reason why there is an inferiority complex with the A's and Giants fans don't do anything to really mitigate that superiority feeling that they have. And it's obviously been made worse with the dynasty. And I get it. Of course, when your team wins championships, of course, like the fan base is going to get obnoxious, but there's also kind of a lack of self-awareness sometimes. And like, obviously fan bases don't necessarily have the most self-awareness, but there is something about Bay area, lack of self-awareness in fandom that is really different when I like look at my friends who are like in different markets. When I see like my LA sports fan friends, my New York sports fan friends, my Boston sports fan friends, it's just a very different vibe that like I'm realizing Bay area fans don't have as much self-awareness, at least with, like Giants fans that uh, te- fans of teams in other cities do have. Yeah, it's it, it just it it that always struck me as silly, even as someone who doesn't know a lot about the like the dynamic between those two teams who just knows the like baseline level. Just like it's just like the same thing as trying to tell a Mets fan if the Mets ever like left the city, like you can just root for the Yankees now. It's like, excuse me. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, what? What are you talking about? And like, it, and it's even worse, arguably, because they don't actually share a city. Oakland and San Francisco are two different cities. They are across the bay from each other, like completely different places with completely different vibes, completely different communities associated with them. Like, yeah. And like, that's the thing. Like, I would never see a Cubs fan telling a White Sox fan, oh, you could just be a Cubs fan. I'm like, no, they know you you do not do that. Right. (laughs) Very different. Yeah, that's not going over well. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's like, do you have a death wish? If so, suggest this. (laughs) San Francisco fans don't seem to get that. (laughs) Yeah. It's... um... But yeah, uh, we uh, since we just talked about a bunch of uh, depressing stuff about Craven uh, ownership greed as usual, um, we will end the show like we always do with walk off wins, where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise. Jen Ramos, what is your walk off win for this week? I think kind of related to what I was saying, like even though they were eliminated, uh, the Sacramento Kings. Um, yeah, it was really good to see them push to game seven and still make a really good effort because when you go from like a losing team to third seed up against the defending champs to come back in game six and still push a game seven is really big. Um, And even though obviously it's not the result I would have wanted, it's like a really good sign for the future. It's a really good sign for Sacramento and like seeing Sacramento fans and seeing a lot of like people outside Sacramento being like, can you imagine that they actually tried to move this team? Like that makes me feel validated that I stuck with this team this whole time. 
yeah as as someone who's like kind of you know recently getting into the nba as someone who never really paid attention to it before but whose partner is a huge knicks fan and obviously the knicks are now in the playoffs also um go knicks. Now that, yeah go knicks now that i'm paying attention to it like um it it was cool to see what the kings did this season and i was rooting for them in in that matchup for sure yeah so it was really good to see and it's nice to see that like there's a lot of promise with that team. Great future. Linda Cerovich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Well, this is kind of dumb, but um, my cousin is getting married in June, and she's her shower is tea party themed. So uh, well, I don't think we wear enough fancy hats in this country. So I jumped at the chance to wear a fancy hat. <laughs> so I bought a fascinator on Amazon. And then I was like, oh, wait, well, with the coronation coming up, I'm going to wear the fascinator to work. So I'm wearing the fascinator to work. And it's also the Kentucky Derby. So I'm going to be wearing my fancy fascinator to work. And I'm really super excited about it. But I don't know why. I'm just really looking forward to wearing it. It makes me happy. It's got like little feathers on it. It's white and it's it's nice. So so we're all wearing our fancy hats this week for both, both the Coronation and the Kentucky Derby. So I'm really looking forward to it. I like being able to be silly at my job. Um, but, and also, if so, you just heard a crash earlier. That was Lucy. She knocked a bunch of cookies off my um, off my counter. Um, and today's also Maddie's birthday. So happy birthday, Maddie. She's turning three today. Happy and birthday. And it's National happy Pet birthday. Month, too. So, yes. So we're also celebrating National Pet Month at work, too. We're hanging up photos of everybody's pets. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to May. <laughs> happy birthday to should... Madison Shea Gatto. Yes. <laughs> And I think we should be wearing more fancy hats to ball games. Yes. Yes. Should be. Um, Maybe I'll start the trend. I have the hat now. <laughs> yeah, why not? Just wear it to wear it to City Field. They used to. Well, you know, they used to wear their like Sunday best and go to the games. It's true. Can bring that back for occasional Sundays. I like that. Um, I'm for it. If you're going to get a fancy hat, might as well make it multi-use. It cost me like 17 bucks on Amazon. It really wasn't bad. (laughs) You know, but you got to get more than one use out of it. I feel like I spend money on like Halloween costumes and I wear them once and then I don't have like any use for like this very niche, like novelty, like head item or like footwear that I had to buy. (laughs) Well, that's what I was saying. Like when I bought the hat, I'm like, I need to get more than one use out of this. I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Get the full mileage out of it. I feel like wearing even like costume stuff to games if they like let you in with it why not make it fun why not make it silly enjoy the baseball game that way i have a mouse onesie and i feel like i need an occasion to break that out (laughs) maybe for the maybe if they maybe if there's a mets game where the rat czar is in attendance or something well they did have the whole rat raccoon argument you really could have busted that out a couple years ago i could have busted it out (laughs) i mean at, at Oracle, I've seen like people in like panda onesies and giraffe onesies. Uh, so uh, I say just wear the costume at the ball game. Why not? Why not? Be comfortable. Go for it. <laughs> it's very warm. So if there's like a very cold day, I'll break it out. <laughs> That's um, playoff game. <laughs> yeah, true. 
<laughs> you heard it here, folks. Heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh man. I feel like I'll have to make this some sort of wager. Like, how much money would you pay me to <laughs> wear that? Make it a dollars for dingers then. Oh yeah, I was gonna say raise idea. money for something. And if there's like a threshold met, you wear the costume to a game. Oh, that's a great idea. We'll make that a dollars for dingers thing. You heard it here first, folks. If we raise, we'll set an arbitrary amount. And if we meet that amount, like in raffle tickets for that, um, I'll wear the mouse onesie to a future Mets game guarantee. <laughs> All right, great. Settled. Um, <laughs> so now that I've dug myself into a very deep hole, um, I will share my walk-off wave for this week, uh, which is that um, uh, over the weekend, um, I had dinner with some of my dearest friends from graduate school. Um, and I hadn't seen many of them in years. Um, and it was just really nice to get together with the Hopkins folks again. Um, I hadn't seen them in a really long time. A lot of them have multiple kids now who I've never met. <laughs> um, so I met, uh, I met a lot of their kids for the first time. Um, and it was just really nice. And I hope that, um, I hope that we can make this a more regular thing because some of them live in the area, but we're all just so busy with our own lives and crap going on that. Uh, we don't get together as often as we should. So it was nice to get together with those folks uh, and I miss them a lot. So that's my walk-off win. Um, Jen, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can folks find you on the internet? Yeah, so everyone can find me on the Dying Bird app uh, at Jen Mac Ramos. Um, I have work that's been in the in defector it's been in the san jose mercury news it's been a baseball prospectus um usually i will just post my articles on said dying bird app um so you can find me there yep well while elon's twitter still lives you can find jen there you can also find uh, us uh, at homerunapplesauce.com. You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash homerunapplesauce. You can follow homerunapplesauce on Twitter and Instagram at hrapplesauce. You can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at a pot of their own. You can follow myself and Linda on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Surovich. You can find this podcast and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Home Run Applesauce. You should be able to find us. Um, please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it, especially now that we are a burgeoning new uh, podcast brand, proudly part of the Fans First Sports Network. Um, the original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets and keep the A's in Oakland. <laughs> and don't forget, there is no crying here.